0: Well, I guess it's about that time. I'm sure a few people will come straggling in. Uh, my name is Dr. Thomas Pittman. I am the Chief Academic Officer at Shepherd's Theological Seminary. So I'll do my shameless plug since we have a booth. If you've not picked up your free books from our booth, we have two from Dr. Michael Block at the booth, uh, Dispensational Hermeneutics and the New Creation Model. And then one of our graduates is the one doing the church plant in Ohio and his uh, persecution book, either at his kiosk or at my table. So... Make sure you get your free copies. I am an interactive teacher. I will ask questions and expect some kind of answer back because I am foremost a professor at a seminary. And so I'm more interactive than than just sit up here and talk. So what we're going to deal with today, and you've heard a lot about this, is reclaiming biblical fundamentalism. But I think in order to understand what biblical fundamentalism is, we have to understand the history of how we got to these terms today. And so, if I was to say evangelical, what is your feeling towards that term, positive or negative? Negative. <laughs> well, positive, because neo-evangelical is negative. But I go back to the original ones. <laughs> Define your terms. That's that's going to have to uh, exactly. That's the play whole to how I feel. Whole point here. Yeah. So the original term evangelical was actually coined by Martin Luther or Thomas Cook in the 1500s. And what it meant was for the gospel. That one of the primary things of the whole reformer movement was the proclamation of the gospel. And so evangelical was actually a very good term. Fundamentalism hasn't even been created yet. It's it's something much farther in the future. But all the reformers were evangelicals because it was the gospel. And then the reformers later we bring... Uh, religion to America, primarily through the Pietists and the Puritans, Reform Anglicans and Methodists. And all of them are evangelical. I mean, the whole idea of the proclamation of the gospel was exactly what this country was founded upon. And then we get into the awakenings. The First Great Awakening, Jonathan Edwards, and the Second Great Awakening. And this is where we start to have a broadening of terms. Not in the first. Jonathan Edwards did an amazing job of sharing the gospel, and, and, and he was probably the brightest theologian, uh, one of the, the brightest American theologians of all time. He was a genius. And uh, we, we have this great awakening amongst groups, and this is where Baptists kind of come on the scene, is around that time. Before then, it's mostly Congregationalists or Anglican or Methodists, and Baptists comes on the scene. And all of these are evangelical. So what happened to this term that we kind of think, In negative terms. Well. You've heard it much. And that was the enlightenment or the modernist movement. On the origin of species in 1859 by Darwin. Has really started to change. Ideas towards science. And if you accepted. Science from Darwin. You started to question. The inerrancy of the Bible. This is really. Where we have this major split. Within evangelicalism. It's around 1890 or so. That we start having these. Prophecy conferences. Or the Niagara Bible conferences. That start to push. Into a conservative wing. Fighting back against modernism. And this. This conservative wing. Really is the foundation. Of fundamentalism. So at the time. All, all Christians in America. Were generally evangelical. But when you start to attack inerrancy, when you start to say science has more answers than the Bible, you start to really see liberal theology from higher criticism invade the church. Where did it invade first? Seminaries. Seminaries. Back then it was more of the divinity schools, the Harvard Seminary or the Yale or stuff like that. All of a sudden, these German theological ideas and Darwinism and evolution takes over the academy. And the church's response, is a fundamental response, is to pull out entirely from the academy and create its own church-based movement. Fundamentalism is a church-based movement. But so is evangelicalism in in its original inception. But this division created this, this horrid separation where the academy is liberal. And the churches remain conservative. And we have this huge separation now. And I, I'm part of the academy, and a lot of the professors in the academy do these great papers, uh, go to these conferences, they have nothing to do with the church. It's the modern equivalent of how many angels dance on the head of a pin. Wow. Fundamentalism, we, we start to... To really pull away from government, we start to pull away from trusting the academy. Even though all the scholarship is generally being done at the academy. To the point where we think that education is a bad thing. So we have to create our own educational models. And so in the 1890s, early 1900s, you have that Bible Institute movement. Moody Bible Institute. Niac Bible Institute. We start training our own pastors... To go on after us. Now here's one of the the big difference between that movement and and modern times, and we'll get there, is in the Bible Institute movement, most of your students are grown men who've already had a career. Ministry has always been a second career kind of thing. You've done your portion to society. And then later in life, you go into ministry, you've got all this life experience, you've got seasoned, in the Navy we called it, you had salt on you, you know, and then, then you go into ministry. So you have these, these well-respected men that have been successful, now going to Bible college. The academy, though, changes, and we start creating an educational system where it's, you know, at 18 you go to college, and then we're getting <coughs> seminary students at 22, and saying, go pastor a church. And so you have these very young men from from the liberal seminaries trying to invade the church. So, evangelicalism starts to really mean something different around 1910. There's really this, this division around 1910 between liberal theology and fundamentalism. It codifies... And what major event in 1925? Scopes Uh, Scopes Monkey Trial. The dividing line that really sets the trajectory that we're at today was the Scopes Monkey Trial. 1925, it's fought between this teacher that wanted to teach evolution in the classroom and goes to court. And the presentation from the fundamentalist side just did not go well in the public eye. And the fundamentalist response was to retract from society. 1930, IFCA is founded. You know, there's a lot of these groups that that come together post the Scopes Monkey Trial. And we leave society to the liberals. Our idea was separation from the world. And almost all fundamentals did it. You know, we're talking about today this idea of separation. But around 1925, 1930, fundamentals just disengaged from society at large and created its own internal systems. IFCA, fundamental churches. I mean, great great institutions. But around 1950, it really goes dark. Because we start getting so separationist that we parse out into these groups that are so anti-dealing with culture that we left the social engagement entirely to the liberals. It's also during this time where politics really starts becoming part of your religious identity. I mean, today, and we'll get there, the word evangelical is not even a religious term anymore. It's a political term. So one of the things that we did wrong as fundamentals, and remember we started with evangelicals, is the fact that we disengaged from society. So there's a rise of a new group that for the right reason did the wrong thing. And that's the new evangelicalism. And you probably heard Uh, If you were in the first session, you understand a lot about new evangelicalism. They were trying to create this moderate middle ground between the conservatives and the truly theological liberals, and most of them actually held to the same fundamentals of the faith conservatives hold to today, but they were trying to still stay engaged with the liberal theology. And some of them embraced it far more than others and started looking to science and, and those avenues. And so we actually have three groups, conservatives this middle group, and liberals. Members of this middle group are people like Billy Graham.
1: You know, he starts way more
0: fundamental, and he shifts through his ministry over the years to even being cast out of certain groups because he engages and sends people back to their home church regardless of how unbiblical that home church might have been. You have have this this horrific attempt for unity and ultimately what happens is doctrine gets sacrificed and today we're fighting a battle of sacrificing doctrine in order instead of redefining our terms in the midst of this culture that can't even understand what a man or a woman is or even in the southern baptist what the definition of a pastor is terms matter and so Fundamentalism, as the separatist group, really got angry and militant. You've probably heard some of the definitions of what fundamentalist means. Fundamentalist, it's difficult to define, but a fundamentalist is an evangelical who's angry about something. That seems simple, simple and fairly accurate. A more precise statement on the point is that an American fundamentalist is an evangelical who is in militant opposition to liberal theology in the churches or to changes in cultural values and mores such as those associated with secular humanism. There's nothing wrong with being angry against sin. Amen. There's nothing wrong with standing strong and firm. But what we started doing was legalizing and fighting against every cultural idea, whether it was actually right or wrong. And so if you don't look like me, then you are not a fundamentalist. We started pulling away to the point where, if the gospel is the main focus of being an evangelical or even a believer, and we've pulled away into this silo and disengaged from culture, we were no longer actually trying to reach culture. We were just us for and no more. So where are we today? Today we're at a struggle to even identify what biblical fundamentalism is. Everybody keeps talking about shiny, happy people. Who has seen that Netflix special? A handful. Okay. Who knows who the Duggars are? Who doesn't know who the Duggars are? Okay. night. They had a show, 19 Kids and Counting. It was this, this very conservative family. Uh, I think they have 20 kids now. I mean, it was just this idea that they just kept having kids. They were part of the full quiver movement, so the more kids you have, the more blessed you were. And they kept, you know, promoting that. And on TV, they looked like this ideal picture until some negatives started becoming known. And the oldest son molested his sisters and some other young women, and they kind of hid it. And then this whole thing is really about tearing down the ideas in in what was the basis of their ideas with the IBLP, the Institute for Biblical Life Principles from Gaither. So they take fundamentalism to the extreme. Doctrinally, we would agree with them. But they took it to such an extreme that if you watch this series, they use the term fundamentalist as the most pejorative thing that can possibly be done in religion. So our terms are being hijacked by the wrong groups. In the 50s, it became the King James only groups that fought against any other idea. Today, it's anybody who actually believes the Bible. To the point that the word biblicist is now pejorative from a large section of Christianity. How insane from this idea that from the Reformation, sola scriptura, to the point now where if you believe the Bible, and these are Christians that are attacking us, the world we don't have to worry about, they're always attacking us, but Christians attacking us for believing the Bible. But remember, we disengaged from society. And the ones that did get active got active politically. So we have conservatives, we have the new evangelicals, and we have fundamentalists. And where we are today in evangelicalism is evangelicals were losing such ground that they threw their weight into the political arena. And who do they put their weight behind? Well, lately it was Trump. Ronald Reagan, Ronald Reagan before with the moral, uh, moral majority, the uh, well, Pat Robertson, they did. They did good with with getting Reagan elected. That's fine. But is is our is our purpose as believers politics? No. So yes, we all have p- opinions. Yes, we vote certain ways. Absolutely. And yes, if we're here, we're conservative, which probably means we're conservative politically as well. Those kind of go hand in hand, not entirely, but mostly. But when you take a term like evangelical and you just throw it into the mud of politics, evangelical is a byword today. So fundamentalist, because of some, some groups really kind of detracted from us, evangelical is now detracting from us. So we're in a place where we don't even know what term to use for ourselves. What do we want to reclaim? Christian. Born again. Christian, Born again. What was the first name of us, of believers? The way. The way. People of the Way. <clears throat> of course, we don't That's want to use cult. that because why?
1: It's a cult. <laughs>
0: because the Way International used that and became one of the biggest cults in the world, and we don't really want to associate with that cult. Ecclesia. What's that? Ecclesia. Ecclesia, church. Universal church and local church. Every one of those terms are absolutely correct, but they're only able to be understood in conversation. And probably that's the one thing that I want to leave, and I know I have a long time still, but to leave with you, is that terms are less important than the relationships and the conversation that you create because you love Christ. Back to the original term of evangelical for the gospel. See, Billy Graham and those guys got us lazy in the church. The New Evangelicals, and this comes out of the second great awakening with Finney, when Finney had some horrible ways of doing things, but the whole anxious bench, the whole coming forward, the whole making just a prayer to salvation kind of muddled Christianity. But we started getting to the point where our job was only to grab somebody and get them to the church, or get them to a promise keepers event, or get them to you know, one of the crusades, whether it was Harvest or Billy Graham. We stopped proclamating the gospel, and we got lazy, and we just said, let's get them into the church. You create the seeker-sensitive movement that says, let's just get the culture together here, and we will save them. But really, all we did was Christianize them and culturalize the church. We're at a point where... IFCA, as I, I said it on the first night in the panel, is probably the most positive face of fundamentalism in this country. I'm not dealing with Europe or anywhere else. It's the most positive face of fundamentalism. But many of you probably understand that we have our own issues in the IFCA. If this is the most positive face of fundamentalism and we identify whatever grade we want to give us as fundamentalists, and we are the best we are, then the only way forward to reclaim biblical fundamentalism is for us to reclaim the IFCA. That's what we need to be doing. But what does that mean? That means that we need to stop fighting the cultural fights or embracing the cultural things and start focusing on the purpose for the gospel. Now, I'm not saying go join T4G or Christian Coalition or any of these other groups that are saying that. I'm saying in your community, stop being mad about the number of people that are in your church and start being joyful and reaching that community for Christ. We terms, terms change. What it used to be to be an evangelical is that the Bible was the supreme authority of Scripture as a source of knowledge of God and guide to Christian living. Can we affirm that? Okay. The majesty of Jesus Christ, both as incarnate God and Lord, and as Savior of sinful humanity. We're all there, right? I mean, we might say it differently, but we all agree with that statement. The Lordship of the Holy Spirit. The need for personal conversion. Okay, The priority of evangelism for both individual Christians and the church as a whole. Matthew 28, right? Preach. Yeah. The importance of the Christian community for spiritual nourishment, fellowship, and growth. Yep. That's, that's the core definition of being an evangelical. <clears throat> that's not the fundamentalist set, although they're going to be almost identical. That is just being an evangelical. We, we have to be the best example of the term to reclaim it. I know that it was mentioned, if you were in Richard Vargas's last session, that the AIG is doing a, a, a job of trying to reclaim the rainbow. So they always put the rainbow colors up on the ark. And of course, if you understand the story of the ark, you understand the story of the rainbow, and it has nothing to do with pride month. <laughs> the pride it's showing is God's purpose there's three overlapping spheres right now according to george marsden and he probably wrote one of the best histories of evangelicalism um, out there and i what they're what i've already told you and we have the, the fundamentalists and we have the new evangelicals and we have conservatives What we have to recognize is that today there are conservatives outside the fundamentalist movement. The last Southern Baptist Convention, while I used to be a Southern Baptist and don't shoot me, please. I was, I'm not anymore, I'm an IFCA, but I was a Southern Baptist at one time. I didn't know any better. No, uh, at least they voted. By a large majority of the delegates, not all, which is worrisome, but by a large majority of the de- delegates to define the complementarian position of what a pastor is. Amen. But the fact that it was a question, the fact that they were even going to have a committee to go and research what that meant is concerning. But there are conservatives outside of fundamentalists. And we have to acknowledge that. Not everybody who's an evangelical is a liberal. Not everybody who's Southern Baptist is conservative. And we saw, if you listen to uh, one of the presentations uh, Jesse Randolph did about some of the scholars today that are at places like Midwestern that are really pushing a new hermeneutic that leads to these ideas that challenge the Bible. We certainly see the infection of institutions. But at least the Southern Baptists have had a conservative resurgence since the 70s. They were super liberal and they're having a resurgence. So much so that I've seen articles complaining of how the fundamentalists are invading the Southern Baptists. Amen. 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 <laughs> Reclaim them. Go for it. Go for it. There are other groups that, that will shock us that we actually might have more in common than we thought. The Methodists right now are, have split. Yes. Why do they split? Yes. Homosexuality. homosexuality and all the LGBTQIA. Now, it was led by mostly Methodist churches outside of the United States, but they, they at least split, and now you have a conservative Methodist side. What was Methodism originally a version of? Anglicanism. Anglicanism. It was Reform Anglicanism. John Wesley was trying not to to do anything but reform the Anglican church here in America to bring it back closer to the Bible because higher criticism had infected the church over there. So we do have some conservative Methodists. Now, we're going to challenge a lot of their doctrinal positions, and I'm not saying that we're all exactly on the same page. But we've even had groups of Anglicans break away. There's a conservative Anglican group now. So as fundamentalists, we need to be careful on how we start having these cultural conversations and decrying everything out there that's not us. Because if we do that, we're just like the separationist fundamentalists that turned us to such a point that we were so internally motivated. Now, many people have been, uh, and I've never been one, so I I can't say I've had a great experience, but uh, what is it, the FBF? recently really attacked Bob Jones. And if you're I'm in North Carolina and there's South Carolina, but Steve Pettit had done an amazing job of bringing Bob Jones from type A to type B fundamentalism to being a loving but hold the doctrine position, to engage culture but not accept culture. And they are fighting to push it back into the dark ages. See, I think being evangelical is the primary thing a fundamentalist is supposed to be, a conservative, evangelical, you want to call it, but I think our biggest mission is the gospel of Jesus Christ. But what does that mean? That means we have to actually go out into the highways and byways of the world and talk to people that we don't agree with. Look, look, and, and your conversations on Facebook or Instagram or anything like that are probably the most effect, ineffective. <laughs> <laughs> and some of you have TikTok and stuff. I don't, so I couldn't even tell you what the conversations are on there. But I can't even engage decent conversation with people I went to college with that got degrees with me when I disagree, It just is nasty because if you're not in person, people feel they can say whatever they want. I had a friend, I won't mention the agency that's here, but he's a missionary, and uh, he started really attacking Calvinism. And all I said was, you don't have to agree, but at least present it accurately, because your caricature is very wrong of the position. Whether you're Calvinist or Armenian here, I'm not going to get into that battle. But at least if you're talking about the other side, present it accurately. The worst thing we can do is make that straw man and then attack a straw man because that's not convincing. And you should have, I I mean, I can't even even show you the, the responses I got on such a, I thought, mediated response from believers. Believers. No, we're not going to agree with a lot of them. But what we've never been known for is loving purpose for the gospel. Not since the early 1890s to 1920. We had such an impact at that time. The Bible Institutes formed. We did such great work at that time. But our response to liberalism was to abandon society. Who started all the hospitals? Churches. Fundamental evangelicals missions agencies or you know orphanages we did that and who do we leave them to the liberals to now and I'm not getting political but all social justice issues are fought by the liberals and not conservatives yet we are the ones that care more for them than anybody did we That's a you know, that's a self evaluating question, Dan. I can't speak for every member of the IFCA and I you know, I came out of California. Again, don't shoot me. There are believers in California.
1: How <laughs> many?
0: When I was there they they always used the quote that two percent, California was two percent evangelized. But there are some amazing churches. I, I was at David Jeremiah's church, Shadow Mountain. Mega church, and I'm not a big mega church fan. That's why I'm in a church plant of like 50. Uh, I, I would say doctrinally, he agrees with everything that we agree with. He is premillennial. He is pre-trib. I don't like his polity because I don't like the congregational Southern Baptist polity. But that's a minor issue. That's secondary. I can deal with that later. Um, but coming out of California gave me a different perspective of what liberal means. Moving to the South, the idea of liberal, this whole Bible Belt idea of a liberal is so very different than coming out of California when liberal is everything under the sun. Walk the street and you'll see what liberal is. But there are believers in California, surprisingly enough. Do we love each other, Dan? Coming out of California, the only thing I ever learned was IFCA stood for I Fight Christians Anywhere. And maybe some of you lived through a time when that was more true. I'm I'm not part of that generation. I wasn't IFCA. When I came to my first convention six years ago, 2018, I met the most loving group of men dedicated to the gospel. At least how they acted Here now, if they're different in their church, I can't speak to that. My skepticism is do we love the world? I think we, you know, we we went to church a
1: couple weeks ago and there was a homeless guy sleeping on the front porch. How do we we treat that man? Do we invite him
0: in? Well, there's a parable that deals with that in, in the Bible, so. How we deal with that man, I think, is given very clearly how we're supposed to. I think we feel helpless to meet the needs of culture. and our help, In our helplessness, we think if we can't fix everything, we do nothing. But if you just meet the needs of that one man to the best that you're able, I don't think God asks for anything more. Yes, sir
1: have to define your terms again. I mean, I, I keep harping back to this, but what do you mean by love? Okay. Do you mean love him by giving him money so that he can, or help him by giving him a job and giving him a place to live? What do you mean by love?
0: Well, I think that Jesus defines what I mean by love, you know, love your neighbors yourself. Now, yes. to what extent? Now, I was in San Diego, largest homeless population in the country. Hmm. You know what I didn't give? Money. money. You know what I did give? Tracks. Food. The gospel. Socks. Socks. Uh, resources of where he could go to a shelter. Resources for drug addiction. Resources for anything like that. No, I wasn't going to give him money to possibly reinforce whatever behavior. And sometimes it's mental health issues that I, I have. All I can do is give them a resource to help because I'm. it's beyond my ability to really but I think love is treating your neighbors. You would like to be treated if you were in the same situation. And that doesn't mean a handout all the time, but feeding somebody that's hungry, visiting somebody in prison. You know, in the jail and prison ministries in California, and I can't speak to everywhere else, you know who does that more than any other group? Cults. Jesus said it, and they're the ones doing it. You know who doesn't go into those? Evangelicals. Fundamentalists. Now there's some. There's, there's absolutely some. We feel helpless because we just don't have all the resources. I get that. Why does the Southern Baptist even succeed? At the cooperative program is their big selling point. What is the cooperative program? Am I the only one that knows? Give, give it to missions. Everybody gives. is supposed to give 10% so they can pull it together to support missionaries. And they have something like 5,000 missionaries Doing that. They don't usually share the gospel very well. (laughs) They may not share the gospel very well. And if they're not trained effectively. And I was in the Southern Baptist where they throw 100 church plants at the wall. All guys that have never sat under another pastor. All that want to be a lead pastor without any training. They want to do it their way and not somebody else's way. And yes, there's a lot of damage in the church. Because we've lost the ability to mentor the next generation. And raise them up from amongst us. I hate the business model of putting an application for a pastorate out there all over and you you apply to churches all over. But that just shows me how many churches need to be restructured. But in fundamentalist circles, you know what we do? We refuse to change anything until we run it into the ground and then have to replant it. But at least we can replant. We We've got to get... Out of this mindset where the world, the world system is our enemy. Right? But the people in the world are our mission field. Mm-hmm. I've seen most churches grow these days from poaching from other churches. And if you're pulling them out of the local church, great. But you know how they're not growing? By saving souls. Mm-hmm. that is our mission. If we're going to reclaim biblical fundamentalism and if you like the term evangelical, that whole idea that Luther and the reformers did we actually have to start caring and getting involved. One of our professors, Dr. Al Potter, he's the leader of church planting for the Shepherd's Church, which is a fairly large church uh somewhere around 3500 4000 people. Um And a lot of you would say, you know, that's too big of a church. It's not healthy. We planted 25 churches uh, between 2021 and like 2023. And we're doing another 25 churches. They started our seminary because we couldn't find enough qualified men to go into the pastorates that people were coming and asking for pastors. The seminary started because they were trying to train men to fill the needs of churches. You know what the problem is in seminaries today? Fewer people are going to be pastors. They want the biblical training, but they don't want the responsibility of being a pastor. For the first time in ATS history, the MA degrees, which are the, necessarily the academic degrees and the non-pastorals, have eclipsed the number of MDiv students that are supposed to be the men training for the pastorate. We have such burnout in the pastorate that people don't want to be pastors anymore. How many are on the IFCA list of needing pastors? There's probably twenty churches? Oh, there's one that last time I learned. As a seminary I get we get requests all the time. I probably have thirty-five churches in the last you know year that have asked us, we need a pastor. We need a pastor, we need a pastor. Do you know how many names are on the list of guys looking for ministry? Zero. So we're trying. We're trying. But we have to change how we do things. We have to start fighting the right fights. If I hear one more about stadium seating versus chairs or versus pews, I, I know that's a laughing thing. Do you know how many churches fought over that? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. COVID. How
1: much damage
0: did COVID do to the church? A lot. A lot. Over what? What? Masks and vaccines. We look. I will be honest. I am unvaccinated. Amen. <laughs> Amen. And you know what? I didn't push my views down anybody's throat. Amen. And if you wanted to wear a mask or get vaccinated, I your personal health choices or your personal health choices. But if you can't fellowship with somebody because they got the vaccine or they want to wear a mask or if you want to fight about how everybody needs to have a mask on at least do your research and understand what a mask does (laughs) but if we start fighting over these issues i'd rather wear a mask than lose a brother first corinthians really starts fighting over you know meat sacrifice to idols but i think the theme behind that is If we start fighting about these things, we are losing the purpose of why we're supposed to be engaging the weaker brother and the world. Do we love Dan? I know you do. Dan sends me a text monthly when he prays for me. I met Dan at the first IFCA convention six years ago. Stayed at his house. I'm actually on, his, I'm on the board over his ministry now. But the man showed such care and concern that I had a different perspective of the IFCA. Who are you doing that for? Pastors, we need to actually fellowship with other pastors. Not just here. Find men in your local areas. They don't have to be 100%, but if they're for the gospel, I'm not saying plant churches with them and start having those fights, but we can still be refreshed with people that we disagree with to some level to say, hey, how can we reach this community for Christ? If we're so siloed that we can't talk to people we disagree with, well, you can't even have a family reunion. <laughs> Didn't Christ say that those that accept the gospel, they're going to be fights in the family? Who's lost a family member over your decision for Christ? Some of us, it's not. A, it's not. A, if we come out of Catholics or Jehovah Witness background or something like that, I've seen. I've seen them basically cast off as if they were dead. Mine are just. They just laugh at me. We could still be in the same room. They just think I'm an idiot. And that's fine. I'll be an idiot for Christ. Amen. But if we're always fighting, we're never loving. What does it mean to love? Treat your neighbor as you would like to be treated. To the extent that you can help, help. Grieve with those who grieve. You know, Express joy with those who express joy. I just taught a class on chaplaincy. Uh, about a month ago and uh, I've never been a chaplain although I was trying to be God said no I was disqualified for gout (laughs) disqualified but you know what I know about chaplains I have met more chaplains because they're in multicultural environments that are doing more for the gospel than most pastors we were going to ask a question the other day and uh, we we talked to the pastor out of doing it that was gonna ask his congregation, how many of you have led somebody to Christ? How many in your congregation would raise their hand? So we said, Don't do that. <laughs> that you might not have your congregation next week because they're gonna not like the, the answer that they give. But I had a pastor tell me, I've never led anybody to Christ. Mm-hmm. I don't want to ask that question here because I don't want to hear the answer reclaiming biblical fundamentalism means we go back to the word of God and live the word of God not a term not a definition what does Christian mean Christ like Christ wants If we need a term, let's go back to Christ. Right? Is there anything better that could define us? When you show love, I've been in some pretty rough environments. When do they call? When their lives fall apart. You ever notice how the most vehement atheists will call on you if you're consistent in your theology when their world falls apart? What's that? Somebody said yesterday? I got one yesterday. He's, he's in the emergency room and wanted me to pray for him. So He walked out of church at the
1: street.
0: Yeah, so. Yeah. so what does that teach us? Everybody knows the truth. They're just in rebellion. You know, what, what we, when we turned over society to the liberals, what else did we turn over? The schools. The homeschool movement today is growing, not just among believers, but because we see what's going on in the schools. If COVID did one thing positive, it gave parents a vision into what's going on in the school system. Because they were then in the room seeing this instruction and and hearing for the first time what we've been sending our kids to for decades. <clears throat> not everybody can homeschool. But we gave over the school system. And now, it is entirely bereft of truth. I know there's all these old things, you know, you kick God out of school, is what you expect? Well, absolutely. But we're hiding God only in our buildings. And not presenting Him to the culture. We're fighting. I always tell people about the Southern Baptists having been one. The biggest problem the Southern Baptists is not is that their guns are always pointed at each other internally, because it's such a broad tent theologically. You have Armenians and Calvinists. You've got all millennials and premillennials. You've got mega church and rural church. They're always fighting each other to the point that they can't do the one thing that they were found to do, and that's shed the gospel. They're always fighting each other. Every convention is, what fight are we going to have today? Didn't we do that in fundamentalist circles? So my question for you is, what are you going to do differently now? Maybe you're doing everything right. But I will tell you that I get called upon to do pulpit fill because I am an IFCA member and I have filled the pulpits in some dying churches and they're dying because we've always done it this way. My very first church as a MDiv student where I interned, the pastor was 90 something years old. His son was a head of the tech ministry sleeping with the head of the worship ministry, living together outside of marriage. And they were wondering why they were losing congregants. And when I confronted this pastor who had been doing this for over 50 years, he said, I don't want to push my son out because he just came back to church. And I wanted to say, he might have come back to church, but he hasn't come back to Christ. I challenged the couple. I resigned. You get the pastor mad. You get his children mad. It's probably not a good place for you to stay. They left the church. They did get married. And they did return to church. I have no idea if they truly embraced the gospel. We must confront sin. Amen. Amen. But we must do it in a way that says we care for you. First Corinthians, horrible situation, right? They cast him out. What is is Second Corinthians, one of the purposes written for? Yes, but he repented. Now you got to bring him back. We've we got to show that kind of concern. They come back. Prodigal son story. It's an amazing story of the return. Right now, as fundamentalists, we're the prodigal son in some situations. We need to return to that first love as well and show love. I don't want us spending all our time attacking evangelicals or attacking anybody, attacking the FBF, fighting with anybody else. Let's expend our energy not on who's doing it wrong, but on doing it right. And You've all heard the story of how you determine a a forgery of a $100 bill. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: You study study the original. Let's be the originals. Let's study what Christ did and apply it to culture. Yes, we can change things. We don't have to do it the way we've always done it. But that doesn't mean we have to embrace the liberalism of the culture. But a few new worship songs that are actually preaching the gospel are okay. Hillsong and Bethel? No. No. If it's not preaching the gospel, abandon it. But if the song, even if it's modern, preaches the gospel, play it. Teach it. Do whatever it takes to show your community that you actually, fundamentalism is biblical. You know, most dispensationalists today are fundamentalists, are Baptists. We're kind of the, the last one. Assembly of God, do you know they're dispensational? Calvary Chapel, you know they're dispensational? They err in the... Charismata, but they're dispensational. We're not the only ones out there. We're just the most correct ones. That's what they say, too. What's that? (laughs) Yeah, I know that's what they say, too. And I know I'm I'm being a little facetious, but um, one thing that we also did was we abandoned scholarship. Scholarship, if we're studying the Word of God, is God-honoring. I'm glad we have Michael Block at Shepherds. He's an amazing theologian, and he studies well, and he writes well, and he teaches well. You know why his books aren't more popular? Because the academy and the publishing houses are full of people that don't want their ideas challenged. So most of our stuff is published through schools or self-publishing or things like that. Because they want to make money, so they only put the things out there that aren't going to be challenged. And all of your church members are buying books by Baker and Craigle and things like that, and they're all being fed bad theology in your churches. We need to reattack scholarship and have them read the right stuff. And know how. And know how. Biblical literacy. I can't tell you how many times I've had conversations with people in the church that don't know the basics, even though they've been in church 50 years. My son is nine, and sometimes he can articulate the gospel better than people that have been in church their whole life. Mm -hmm. And I hope that continues. We need to teach people. I I lead adult Sunday school. That's what I teach in our church. But i said, I've met so many churches that they think that that's only for children. Call it Adult Bible Fellowship. But they think that sitting down and teaching is only for children. They already know everything. <laughs>
1: yes, sir? Apparently they haven't read the course of scripture from Paul that says, I
0: have not yet attained. I have a lot of credentials. I have not yet attained all the knowledge that there is out there. My wife, who is out there with my son, will complain about how many books I have in my library. I have not yet attained the mastery of all that is the Word of God. And if you claim to have mastered the Word of God, you lie. You lie. (laughs) Are you growing in your faith in the Word of God? Do you know more today than when you started? Absolutely. And I find things, my wife is a better. Studier than I am. And she'll come to me and be like, have you seen this? Oh, man, I've never even thought of that. Great. Now I have to actually learn something because I'm supposed to be the spiritual leader and you're doing a better job of this. Hold on. Let me study it for a minute. This is why she's your helper. That's why she's my helpmate. She fixes me. She mm-hmm. comes alongside and adds the things that I don't have. Amen. Isn't that what the church is to the culture? Amen. Yeah. Yeah. All I want us to do is do what God called us to do, but do it the way God did it. We confront error. Absolutely. But not in hellfire and brimstone. We want to recover them, not cast them into hell. Whose job is it to cast them into hell? The Lord's. The Lord's alone is the judge. Because if I gave you my testimony... You probably say, he deserves that. I didn't get saved until I was 28. I was a drunken sailor. If you watched any of those old movies about drunken sailors, that was probably me. I was I was a degenerate. But Christ regenerated me. Now the reality is all of us. All of us were rebellion on all sin against God is horrific. I may have celebrated mine a little bit more, but we were still equally guilty Amen. so everybody that comes to faith is a miracle of God <laughs> and if he can save people we think are unsavable, like me, we should stop withholding the gospel from people that we think are unworthy. Where's the center? Are what's that Where's the the sinner we are already done we say that. I will tell you my own experience because of my testimony and the things I went through. People love redemption stories. They just don't want the redemption in their church. It's great that I was saved, but why don't you go over there? We're, We're good and moral here. We only want people that have always been good and moral here. Now, I have had people that have embraced me because... That's what Christianity is. I am a totally new man, as God said, from what's before. And each one of you that has become a believer, regardless of yourself, is a new man in Christ, a new woman in Christ, and you are not what you were. We want to see that glory in people in this culture. We want to see the feminists like my wife come to faith and embrace the gospel. No, she's she's honest about it. She used to be, you know, a, a recovering feminist, whatever you call it. You know what she is today? A biblicist. Stay at home, wife and mom. Stay at home, wife and mom. Homeschool, you know, the whole conservative, like, image from her rebellion to studying the word of God. What changed her? Not me. Biblical literacy changed her. So what are we going to do in our church? A hermeneutics initiative. Start a hermeneutics initiative. Teach how to study. That's what my wife. She leads the women's group at, at our church. You know what she teaches? How to women how to study. She's better at my resources than I am. What else are we going to do? Apologetics. Apologetics. Apologetics is not for it. It unbelievers. It's for believers. You know, your church service <laughs> is supposed to be for believers. Right. Bring unsaved people in. But what's the church service for? To equip the believers. That's what Sunday school or ABF is for too. The sermon is is him speaking. And he, great, exposing the word of God. Sunday school is what? Us speaking. Working through the concepts to make sure that you understand what the word of God is saying. And applying that and understanding application in our lives. Sunday school actually does more to change you than the sermon does. The sermon spurs you to want to learn more, but Sunday school is what changes you, because you're in the Word. The old word that we hate, spiritual disciplines, Bible reading, Bible study, prayer, fasting. What do they do? They bring us in communion with God. We become more Christ-like with our communion with God. The more time we spend with our Savior, the more we become like our Savior. That's why it says, you know, if you hang out with the world, you're going to probably end up worldly. We don't hang out in the world We try to impact the world Amen, Amen. Any final questions of the last few minutes Before uh, lunch I know lunch is a very important subject yes.
1: Amen. Uh, You said About love towards the community And loving the world And separating What do you think of Christians Who I've talked to Who think that they need to be like the world In order to reach out to them Basically being involved in worldly things
0: well, I think if we, again, join those activities in order to impact them for Christ, what ends up happening is we become more like the people that we're trying to impact. So what I would what say to them is, what's more impactful? You being no different than the world? Or you being so radically different from the world with joy and what you do that they start to question why? So I would always tell anybody, the more we look like the world, the less we're going to be like Christ. What what shocks people out of their apathy is how different a believer is in the midst of suffering and persecution and trial. People are desperate for joy in this culture. Depression's at an all-time high. Suicides are at an all-time high. What do they need? They need Christ. So when you're joyful, still have joy in the midst of the trial, James, James, and they see that, and you can communicate that to them. That's more impactful than you being like the, the people in the world. You know, you being different is is better.
1: Yes. Well, I, I know I'm not teaching but in 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 your question, I think of my mom, who was when she was saved, and I'm saying she is a nominal Christian. It's because the people who brought her to Christ you're like we're going to go home and drink. It's not bad, but she's like, Oh, I can look like the world and be a Christian? No. She uh, doesn't go to church. She held on to it for a second, but what it did was give her a false sense of security because she thinks she's a believer. There's no hurt, no evidence of that.
0: It says, uh, You know, if you love the world, you hate God. Yes, sir. I've seen
1: uh, preachers uh, who, quote unquote, believe like we believe, appearing themselves on places we would not find ourselves. It's like, wait just a minute, how in the world is this happening? This guy has a PhD at XYZ, and he's got influence in the Christian community, and here he shows up on Total Baloney Network. Praising them. it's like these people have
0: nothing to do with Christians and I've heard lots of arguments for them saying I like to be on a network where we can impact that that audience but you know whenever we appear next to somebody we're lumped in with whatever that is there is a separation issue that we must maintain we must separate to be like Christ and not endorse that which is unchrist-like I would say that those preachers, no matter how smart they are, are not doing a service to Christianity because they're partnering with false teachers. My wife, she works at the Phoenix
1: Rescue Mission in Phoenix. Used to be when I uh, got saved in 1991, the pastor decided, well, we're going to have to do a little OJT we're going to have to go down to the mission and do some lunchtime preaching. And so we went down there. Well, when we went down there originally... It was the Phoenix Gospel Rescue Mission. But in order to entice more donors and uh, and not be offensive to the groups of people that we're trying to attract, well, let's just get rid of the gospel. Let me tell you, when you get rid of the gospel, just shut the building down, and
0: all those programs that they're going to have are useless and worthless without the gospel. Absolutely. We like to help people in their temporal existence while letting them go to their... Permanent punishment in hell. Mm -hmm. Make this place a better better place to go to hell from. You know, and I'll say this and I'll pray for our lunch. For the believer, this is your hell. Amen. Mm -hmm. For the unbeliever, this is their heaven. Mm -hmm. This is the best it's going to get. Making their hell a little bit better. They have a future punishment awaiting. And that is what should motivate us for the gospel. Because I was destined for that. And by God's sovereign grace, I was rescued. Amen? Alright, let me pray for us. Oh, one more. Go
1: ahead. The Bible doesn't say, for I am not ashamed of the programs that we I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation.
0: I'll tell you one funny story then pray. Uh, my wife uh, goes early to study, and she was talking to some of the employees there and one of them from New York was saying how many people have tried to get him saved since we've been at this conference. But at least people are sharing the gospel. Amen. That's, the part. That's the part. Father, thank you so much for the men and women in this room, Lord, for this conference, but more than anything, for your shed blood on our behalf. Help us to proclaim the gospel clearly, truthfully, with the fundamentals of the faith, honestly, as if you were here present with us. Lord, we do want to see many saved. We do want to see our culture (laughs) change. But more than anything, Lord, continue to change our hearts to show love as you would do it. The two great commandments, to love you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbors as ourselves. Empower us today to do that as we go about the rest of this. It's in your precious and mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen.